0: Well, it is a great honor also to take part in this historic event in the life of your church as we, you are installing our dear brother, Kempis, uh, as your senior pastor. I've known you, brother, I don't know how, even how long. Uh, I think we first met. He came to a pastor's conference at our church as kind of a young guy. and um, But we became really close friends, oh, uh, I don't remember, maybe eight 10 years ago, um, we were traveling through Burbank. We decided, hey, call you up, and it was uh, just see if you're available to go to lunch. And unbeknownst to us, they were in the middle of some trial. And I don't even remember what it was, but we spent, I don't know, three or four hours over lunch, and we became close friends And uh, ever since then. And, and I've watched you, brother, um, and how just your integrity uh, through many trials, and you have been an example to me, brother. So. It's a joy to be your friend, and we're thankful for what God's doing here in this church and in your life. Um, I bring greetings to you from Community Bible Church in Vallejo. That's in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, It's kind of like here. It's dark, um, a place that needs Christ, and so we're thankful to be there. Um, As George has given you a a charge to your pastor, I have been tasked to give a charge to you, the congregation, and I want to focus on how you relate to your pastors and to one another. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 2. First, Thessalonians chapter two. As you know, we live in a world that's filled with conflict and broken relationships. Neighbors think nothing of assaulting their fellow citizens, at least in Vallejo. In homes, spouses can't get along. Children and parents are at odds with one another. And I I would imagine in every sphere of life, there's conflict, there's brokenness. And sadly, I I can look out and know that uh, none of us have escaped this to some level. Wouldn't it be wonderful To have loving friends who go around saying nice things about you behind your back. (laughs) A true friend is one who attacks you in the front. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. A genuine friend is one who knows you and still loves you. Well, the gospel of Christ produces those kinds of friendships those kinds of loving friendships. We're supposed to be known as disciples of Christ by our love for one another. And maybe the clearest picture of this is when Paul and his companions went to Thessalonica and preached the gospel, but they didn't just give them information. They gave them their lives because the gospel is inescapably relational. Relational. Because the heart of the gospel is love that results in reconciliation. Hatred and conflict are replaced with love and forgiveness and friendship. And I believe this chapter reveals one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the, uh, the Bible of how the gospel affects your relationships. You, you love people by giving your life. And so I want to read through this passage. We'll start in verse 1. And as I read through this, I just want you to listen for uh, Paul's repetition of you know. You are witnesses. You recall. Listen for that as I read through this. Verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, We had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from air or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know. Nor with pretexts for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we may, might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you we call, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you, as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul, when he wrote this, he was actually writing to defend himself and his companions from false accusations. Apparently, there were critics who were casting doubt on Paul's character and his motives in an effort to destroy his message so as to ruin the faith of the Thessalonians. And Paul refutes his enemies' accusations by simply letting the record speak for itself. So he just reminds them of what they already knew concerning his loving actions. And in doing this, Paul demonstrates how the gospel should be lived out. So I'm so thankful this happened because we have this letter. And we see how the gospel is to be lived out. You live out the gospel by loving others. And so I've titled this, giving your life in love. Giving your life in love. And my subtitle is Loving Relationships Centered in Christ. Loving relationships centered in Christ. If this church is to have an impact on this community and this region and in this world for the glory of Christ, you must have loving relationships. That's where, that's where it all begins. And what we're going to see is this passage here is extremely practical in revealing how to have these types of relationships. And so we're going to look at three things from this text. First, your loving relationships are founded in the gospel. For Christ is what is the one who unites us. Second, your loving relationships have a goal, which is to stir one another to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so when you know the objective of your relationships, you can encourage one another toward that end. And then third, your loving relationships are carried out by doing some very practical things. And we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking really at that third point. You live the gospel by giving your life and love. And I want you to just remember the context of this. This is a letter written from a pastor. It's written from the pastor's perspective. And he's reminding them how really he was an example of these things, how he modeled these things with the desire that they would practice. And just follow his example. And I know that's the heart of Kempis and the heart of your elders that you would learn to give your life in love. So let's look at this. First, to have loving relationships centers in Christ, know that the gospel is the foundation of your relationship. The gospel is. I mean, you think about people have friendships that are rooted in all kinds of different things, right? You may have similar interests, similar hobbies. Maybe you like motorcycles or barbecuing or cats. Well, maybe not cats, dogs, (laughs) right? Fishing. I don't know. I went to a church last week, and they they had a common guns. They liked to shoot. I mean, it was kind of fun, actually. Or or maybe you, you root for the same team. Maybe you root for the Mariners. Or your kids' soccer team. Or you may be at the same stage of life. Maybe you're a mother of preschoolers, or you're in an RV club, or you're a college student. People develop friendships over common interests. But the root of believers' relationships is the gospel of Christ. It's Christ. Look at verse 2. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to the gospel of God amid much opposition. Or verse 8, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. So we, we see here the whole purpose and point of Paul going to Thessalonica with Silas and Timothy was to give them the gospel. And when some of them responded to the gospel by repenting of their sin and believing in the Lord Jesus, they developed relationship with Paul and his friends. What united them was the gospel. That's what unites us. That's what unites you with your pastors and with one another. It's the gospel. And and it's the gospel that removes all barriers that separate people. Race, economic, Political, social walls are all broken down in Christ. Praise God for that. We all stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross. We're all saved the same way by the blood of Jesus. And so what we have in common is Christ and all the blessings that he secures for us. And one of those blessings is the joy of loving relationships with one another. Praise God for that. I remember when I first got saved, I had two close friends through high school and college. We went to high school and college together, and then when I got saved, they didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore, and, and now I have hundreds of friends. I had two friends, and now i got hundreds of friends. Praise God for that. Don't take them for granted. Instead, nurture your friendships with other believers. Be around them. Be involved in their lives. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Forgive one another. Because the gospel of Christ is the foundation of these relationships. You know, I notice that you guys have small groups here. We have small groups in our church too. Oh, what a wonderful place to nurture these relationships. To nurture these friendships. We were in our small group last week. and We we kind of broke up our small group into smaller groups to pray together. And people are sharing burdens. They're, they're sharing these prayer requests. the burdens of things going on in their life. And, and, and I can help bear those burdens now that I know what they are. And so maybe right after that time, I would just grab that guy, one of the guys who shared something, and say, hey, let me talk to you about that. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Or maybe it's the next week. I come back the next week, and I just say, hey, I've been praying for you. How's it going? Nurture those Friendships. But here's what happens as believers. We, we, we sometimes forget that the gospel is the foundation of our friendships because even in the church, we have friendships based on common interests or maybe the same stage of life. And it's a da- the danger is letting those interests become the foundation of your relationship instead of Jesus. And so that brings us to our second point, to have loving relationships centered in Christ, you need to know the goal of your relationships with other believers. What is the goal? I don't even know if you've ever even thought about that. What is the goal of my friendships with one another? Well, Paul tells us. Look at verse 12. Notice how he ends this passage. So that you may, would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. That's his goal. That's the pastor's goal. right? He wants you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Well, that should be all of our goal. Right? We should be stirring one another to live our lives in a way that honors God. And Paul says he has one specific aim in his relationship with these believers. Live lives worthy of God. Oh, we should, shouldn't we? We should. That's what a loving, that loving pastors want for their congregation because there's no higher goal, there's no higher calling, no worthier goal than that. So in your friendships... Encourage one another to honor Christ. Challenge one another to do much for Jesus. Do you have friends like that? Are you that friend? Is that you? That's why I love hanging around with Kempis. He's always doing that for me. When Paul says here in verse 12, the God who calls you, You know, I think immediately we think of our calling, right, when we're called by God, but it's actually present tense. And the idea is God is continually calling you to walk in a manner worthy of Him. He's calling you to increase efforts to higher goals because the Christian life is one of advancement. It's one of growth, one of maturity. And so you should be striving to be more useful for Christ's kingdom. So how can you be more useful this year for Jesus? What are you going to do in the next three months for Christ? What are your goals? I mean, summer's coming, right? Most of us, we, we make plans for summer. All right, we're going to go here. We're going to go do this. Go do. Well, what, what are your plans for Christ? This may be the next three months. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. That would be good. Do you have any goals like that? We call it getting a hit list. You know, I got a hit list. I'm praying for these people. I'm going to talk to them about Christ. Or how about getting better at being a doer of the Word? That would be a good goal. Right? We, we hear lots of good sermons. We, we don't practice as much as we hear. Maybe a, the goal would be, hey, I want to be a better doer of the Word. So maybe when we... After we hear a sermon, we, we get together with our friends or our family, and we talk about, hey, wh- what did you get out of it today? How can we stir one another on? Or maybe it's your desire to put to death a specific sin. Maybe you've been struggling with a sin long enough. And like, i, I got to learn how to kill this sin. Or maybe it's maybe walking alongside someone to help them do that. I want to help you kill that sin. Put it to death. Or maybe your goal is to disciple someone or serve others in ministry in the church. But the point is just make goals to grow in Christ, to walk in a manner worthy of God, honoring Him with your life. And share your goals with your friends, with your spouse. And let's encourage one another toward this end to do much for Christ. I mean, we, we, we're living in a, in a culture that's disintegrating before our eyes, that's under the judgment of God. Oh, we need to have a sense of urgency about The times you're living in, right? Oh, what, what better thing to do than just stir one another on toward Christ? Walk in a manner worthy of God. And remember, I just want to encourage you that the God who calls you to walk in a manner worthy of God enables you to do that. He enables you. He resides in you. He gives you His Word. His grace enables you in your weakness. And He also gives you other Christians. And that's the emphasis of this text. Right? He's emphasizing how the body works together to stir one another on. The Christian life is lived in, commu- in a community of believers called a local church. Where you have these kind of loving relationships where you're stirring one another on in Christ. And that brings us to our Third point, to have loving relationships centered in Christ, you live out the gospel by giving your life. Live out the gospel by giving your life. It's interesting, when you look at this text, Paul's emphasis in the first part of the passage is speaking the gospel. He mentions that in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. Speak, so you hear and you receive the gospel. But then in the second half, his emphasis turns to, uh, to living the gospel. And the point is, the gospel doesn't simply change what you believe. It transforms how you live. It transforms you. It's not just information. It's transformation. And if you've received the gospel, you're radically transformed inwardly, and it begins to see comes out of you. You love others in very practical ways by giving your life. That's what happens. You start loving people. And Paul uses a metaphor here to describe how he loved others. Now, he could have picked any number of metaphors. He chose the most intimate metaphor of a mother and a father to illustrate the kind of care we're to have for each other. Oh, it's beautiful. And so in giving your life You're to sacrificially care for others like a mother. Sacrificially care for one another like a mother. Verse 6, he says, Even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. And this is tender language, isn't it? And really a a beautiful picture of how we are to care for each other. And, And this portrait really of a caring mother really is in contrast to Paul's critics who accused him of doing things for selfish gain. I'm sure it went something like this. You went to Thessalonica, Paul, out of greed and to seek the glory of men. And Paul responds by reminding them that no, I actually spent my life giving my life like a mother would for her infant child. That's the reality. And they would know that. And so true belief in the gospel results in caring friendships. Caring friendships. And so if you're to care like a mother, then you've got to be gentle with others. Be gentle. Be gentle. Instead of asserting his authority, and the idea is throwing his weight around because he was an apostle, Paul was gentle. The Thessalonians were young Christians. They had much to unlearn and a lot to learn. And so Paul was gentle with them. He's patient with them. Are you gentle and patient with others? Think of a nursing mother. She's a picture of gentleness, right? she's nourishing and caring for her child she gives unselfish loving care listen with no thought of profit or honor to herself (laughs) nobody's watching she does it anyway no thought of profit or honor to herself she only bestows benefits she gives herself away A a nursing mother is a servant because the child is completely dependent upon her for, to meet his needs. And the baby, of course, lets mom know when he thinks he has needs. Regardless of the time. Right, ladies? I remember those long nights when we had infants in the house. And I'm sure m- my wife Becky recalls them a lot more vividly than I did as I slept through some of those. But she couldn't. A nursing mother is a picture of one who sacrificially serves because she loves her child. Paul says, that's how I cared for you. That's how I cared for you. Closely involved in their lives with no thought of selfish gain. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about them. Do you care for believers this way? Are you willing to sacrifice your time and energy so others grow in Christ? I would imagine that you have many opportunities to serve children. I saw some of the needs on the screen. To serve the young people in this church, to serve adults. Are you willing to give yourself away like a nursing mother? This means there's not going to be much return. I mean, you've got to understand what you're getting into here. When you give yourself away to help others, there's not going to be much reciprocation, especially when they're like children. They're they're receiving because they need to grow and mature. But are you willing to give your life away simply because you care for people and know that they need that to help them mature in Christ? That's what Paul did. And Paul treated them this way because he wanted them to walk in a manner worthy of God. That required nurturing, Care, gentleness, and patience. Now let me warn you of something else. When you decide, if you're, if you're thinking you want to do this, and maybe you do do this, when you pour out your life like that into the lives of others, it gets messy. It gets messy. It's like changing diapers. I never liked that part of parenting. But you're willing to, to help people through their messes so they learn how to honor Christ. You have to be patient and gentle, knowing there's going to be setbacks, right? It takes time to raise children. You've got to teach them the same lesson over and over and over until they get it. And then when you finally, they finally get one area done, and then you see other areas of growth that, need, that pop up that need to be addressed. So you have to be forbearing and kind. But listen, the investment in the lives of others is worth it when you see them grow and mature and start loving others and following your example and ultimately following Christ. I I, I think of the aged Apostle John when he said, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Oh, no greater joy. That's like being a proud parent. A few months ago, my older son sent us a video of our grandson, Brock. He was seven months old at the time, and he had learned to pull himself up. He was kind of a big kid, and he learned to pull himself up, and there's this video, and he's standing on the edge of the couch there and on the corner of the couch, and he lets go of the couch, and he takes one step and grabs the other. Side of the couch, his first step, and you could hear Proud Papa in the background, you know. When you see your disciples and those you're pouring your life into, taking a few baby steps in the right directions, you know what? You pop a few buttons. Right? That's your reward. So encouraging. As John would say, no greater joy. No greater joy. And by the way, this this metaphor that Paul uses here of a mother and a father, he's assuming that's what you do as a parent. This is what mothers do. They're, They're nurturing. They're gentle. They sacrifice their interests for their kids. This is what fathers do. They instruct. They motivate. They're engaged. They're not passive. And they do this because they love their children. And so, beloved, let me just encourage you. Your, your home is your training ground to live out Christianity. It's your training ground. I mean, you think about the qualifications of an elder. It talks about, hey, your home. Are you managing your home? Are you caring for your home? Are you loving your wife? Same thing with a deacon. Your home is what I would call elementary school. It's elementary school. It's elementary Christianity. If you're not living out your Christianity at home, it's your fake you're a fake. God uses that to, to help you learn how to become a godly man and woman. It's your home. And because Paul poured out his life in these people, they became very dear to him. Very dear. And, and look at verse 8 again. This has to be one of the most tender, precious, loving verses in all the Bible, Right? Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Here we see another principle, I think, from moms. You you are to have a fond affection for others. Fond affection. Paul loved them by giving them the gospel. He gave them the priceless treasure of Christ, But because he gave them the gospel, he also imparted his life. Paul's goal was not simply to give them information. Here's some facts you're to believe. No, that's not what he did. Because if you really believe the gospel, you love people. That's the fruit of it. Because if the gospel is true, then by definition, it's relational. You're reconciled to God and each other. Can't be more relational than that. You're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the gospel. That's what it produces. And so because Paul believed the gospel, he couldn't help but impart his life. He he gave himself a way to help these believers grow in Christ so God would be glorified. Do you give your time and energy to helping others? And then I want you to notice something about verse 8. This wasn't just Paul. He uses the plural here. We, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart our lives. So Paul includes Silas and Timothy. The Thessalonians had become dear to all of them. They were all well pleased to give their life and service to them. And this word well pleased means to take pleasure in. It's a word used six times of the Father's pleasure of His Son. Oh, I want you to be well pleased with my Son. As I am well Paul says we took great pleasure in giving you our lives we were glad to be spent for your souls see when you do that when you pour yourself into into others they become dear to you it can't be helped because you're investing in them I mean we we poured our life into our older we have four kids that are grown and now they're all married they're out, out the door somewhere and we spent, we spent 18 years pouring our lives into them. Guess what? They became very dear to us. And they're still very dear to us. And because of that, we still want to impact their lives because we know they're going through different stages and different issues, and we want to, we want to be a, a voice in their life because they're dear to us. We've invested so much in them. The same is true of pouring into others. It's well-pleasing to give your life because they become dear to you so loving relationships means being willing to sacrificially care for others like a mother and i want you to notice how far paul was willing to go in his sacrificial care for them which proved his affection look at verse 9 for you we call brethren our labor and hardship working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you we proclaim to you the gospel of god so here we see a third principle I think you can learn from moms, nursing moms. Right? You're willing to forego your rights and your comforts while laboring unselfishly for others. Paul's emphasis in this verse is on his desire not to be a burden to them. Now, he had a right to be paid for proclaiming the gospel, but he was willing to forgo that right because he didn't want to excessively weigh them down. So he toiled. And the idea here is of intense labor that he says was united with hardship. So he worked himself until he was fatigued and weary working night and day to physically meet his own needs while he continued to proclaim the gospel. So he's working these long hours to the point of exhaustion doing this double function. At night, while most people were at rest, Paul was at work. Oh, can you picture a mom doing that? you picture a nursing mom like that? day or night whenever the baby has need she's laboring to the point of exhaustion to care for her child listen when you serve other people it's exhausting work it requires you to sacrifice your comforts your desires so you can help them while other people are resting you're laboring and you do that because you want to see christ honored in their life listen we live in a culture that just emphasizes ease it emphasizes comfort and honestly, I pray for the next generation. We have a wimpy generation. They just want to be comforted. They want handouts. A restaurant that I know hired some college students and they were constantly talking instead of working. And when their immediate supervisor confronted them to do their work, the students went and complained to the manager saying, hey, this, my, our supervisor is so unreasonable. He's mean. They couldn't believe they, that he wanted them to work hard, and the manager reminded them, that's why we're paying you. That's why we're paying you. Now, if companies expect their employees to work hard to give an honest day's work, how much more should we labor for Christ? The love of Christ should control us, right? The work you're doing for Jesus is producing eternal fruit. Eternal fruit. It brings glory to Him. So can you sacrifice some of your comforts for Christ? Can can you labor hard to the point of exhaustion? Are, Are you willing to give up some of your desires so others can grow in Christ? You know what that may mean? It may mean giving up some of your evenings so you can study And prepare to teach others. Or it may mean giving up a Saturday morning so that you can meet with someone and help them grow in Christ. It may mean that at the end of a long day when you just want to rest and relax, you take time to disciple someone. Maybe your child or have a meaningful conversation with your spouse. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth you pouring your life into others so they can grow and be more useful for the kingdom of God? We need to be willing to forgo our rights, our comforts, and labor unselfishly for the growth of others, to sacrificially care for others like a mother would, because Jesus is worthy. Well, one last thing here. The, the, the maternal metaphor is only part of the picture of having a loving relationship. Second, in living out the gospel, you, you need to love like a father. Love like a father. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and so was God. How devoutly, uprightly, blamelessly we behave toward you Believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Well, here's what we learn from a father. You instruct others according to their individual needs. We see in verse 11 here that Paul was involved in each one of their lives. Paul Paul pursued each one with the desire to instruct and motivate them. Oh, we need to have a father's heart like. We need that. Or you take time to get involved in the lives of others because you know they need exhorting or encouraging or they need imploring. Now that requires time and sacrifice. Helping others grow in Christ is slow, laborious, affectionate work. It means taking time to have people in your home, to go out to coffee, to have them involved in your life. See, the reason that fathers know whether to exhort or encourage or implore their children is because they live with their kids and they see things going on in their lives. Well, that takes time to develop those kinds of relationships. You've got to be involved with each other. And so, from a father, we learn here that you instruct specifically. Fathers exhort their children to a particular line of conduct. This, The picture of this is a father coming alongside his child to instruct him wisely to live right. You entreat him to live a certain way because you know the danger and folly of sin. And you see an example of this in Proverbs, right, where Solomon repeatedly addressed his son to avoid certain people, avoid certain things, to put God first, to fear God, to walk in his ways. So we need to continually come alongside one another, exhorting one another to live right. Oh, we need that, right? How often do you need that? A father also encourages his child to continue on in a right course. And this word of encouragement has the idea of com- uh, comfort or consoling. And we need that because there's many obstacles in life. There's, we often experience failure. And discouraged believers, they need faithful friends you are going to point them back to Jesus. He's still on the throne. He's still reigning. And sometimes you just need to be reminded of that. He's the price. Keep pressing toward him. And again, this is present tense. You should continually be encouraging one another to follow God. And so if you see your friend veering off course, what do you do? You get, you get in front of him and you steer him back in the right direction. And then finally, a father implores his child. This word means to solemnly charge. It means to to bear witness of things that you've seen. And so when a father sees his child defiant or going astray, he implores him with serious words. Love is what motivates him to speak tough words. And sometimes you've got to do that with one another. You have to do that with one another. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I'm thankful for my wife And different brothers in my life who are willing to do that praise God it's hard to hear sometimes but I know what they love me right you love someone enough to implore him with God's words to follow Christ as a loving father Paul would not leave things unsaid his fatherly love included encouragement and admonition with the goal that the gospel would bear fruit in their lives that they would walk in a manner worthy of God and so Beloved, you you need to demonstrate the same parental care for one another. Showing gentleness and care for each other, but also having a sense of urgency to not allow ungodly behavior to go unchallenged, which is surely the harder thing to do, isn't it? But in love, be willing to do the hard things for God's glory. And I would just say this. Think about this. Think of how much healthier your church would be and how much more Christ would be exalted if you had these kinds of relationships. Well, then then everyone would know that you're disciples of Christ by your love for one another. And so seek that. Paul did all of this because his supreme goal was their good in God's glory. Verse 12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. So, beloved, I would just encourage you, invest your lives in one another and love one another with the desire to see God glorified in your lives. Be willing to give up your life in love where you have friendships that give glory to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for Your Word that helps us see how we're supposed to be. And Lord, I pray that you would work in this church as Kempis comes here and starts giving leadership, more leadership direction and vision, that the church, your people would respond would doing their part in loving one another. And so, Lord, we pray, be exalted in this place. May this church be a light on a hill. May it be a beacon in this dark area for the gospel of Christ. We'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.